tonight, children all across the country are going to put on costumes. Some adults, too. You know who you are. They're going to go house to house. They're going to knock on doors, and they're going to get candy put in their bags. And when they knock on the door, they're going to announce why they have come. What are they going to say? You did. You did. You got it right. They... They're going to get candy put in their bags. Hopefully, candy, please don't be the person who puts an apple in their bag or the dental floss or the toothpaste. Please don't do that. <laughs> if, you, if you put a gospel tract, which that's a good thing to do, you should do that. Uh, but if you do that, please put a king-size candy bar in there as well. Don't be that person. Some of y'all need to make a grocery store trip here in a minute. They're going to get that candy, they're going to take it home, they're going to dump it on the floor. Parents all across the country are going to inspect it. They're going to take their portion, don't judge me. Let the person who's never hidden in the pantry to eat a Butterfinger cast the first stone. That's what's going on tonight. Children are going to knock on doors in costumes and they're going to announce why they have come. In our text this morning, Mark chapter 2, we're going to see how Jesus announces why he has come. Mark chapter 2, Jesus announces why he has come. A little bit of context in in the gospel of Mark, Jesus has begun his ministry described as proclaiming the gospel of God. He begins to call his disciples. He calls uh, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they are, they are fishermen. Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He calls them to follow him, and they do. They follow him, and Jesus begins to heal people. Mark says that he heals all who were sick and all who were possessed by demons. Uh, he heals a leper, and he heals a paralytic. And then what Jesus is going to do is he's going to pass by the Sea of Galilee again. And the text is going to tell us that great crowds followed him, and Of course there were great crowds because he was healing people. And he was teaching. And and these crowds gathered. And as they gathered, Jesus had another disciple to call. This encounter with a new disciple is similar to the one with the fishermen where he met them by the Sea of Galilee. The call is the same. The location is the same. The only thing that is different is the occupation of the new disciple disciple. So look with me, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says that Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now this interaction takes place in Capernaum. It's a strategic location where there would have been a lot of tax booths, a lot of tax collectors. And Jesus passes by this tax booth and he sees Levi there. Levi was a tax collector, which meant that Levi was despised. He was despised not so much for his profession as much as his wickedness tax collectors were despised because they were dishonest they would use 
intimidation to accomplish their purposes. Sometimes they would use force to collect the taxes. And they were despised for their religious uncleanness. They had a lot of interaction with Gentiles, and for a Jew, that made them ceremonially unclean. And so Levi was despised. He was an outsider. He was looked down upon, generally disliked. Well, Jesus says to Levi, of all people, of all the people he could have spoken to, it's Levi. He says, follow me. Now, this wasn't completely out of the blue. Uh, this is, this is uh, a technical term for when a rabbi wants to choose a disciple. He was inviting Levi to follow him, to be with him, to learn from him. He was inviting Levi into his inner circle. So Jesus, by inviting a tax collector into his inner circle, he was risking not only the ire of the religious elite, which we'll see in a second, but also just like the general population. Now some may think that Jesus' calling of a tax collector may have been some sort of accident, or maybe Jesus was ignorant of the way that kind of looked. But as we're going to see in the next few verses, Jesus makes it plain, not only... Was he aware of what he was doing? But he's going to turn the whole world upside down doing it. Well, look with me in verse 15 where it says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Verse 15 gives us a little bit of information about what's taking place here. The first thing is this. Jesus reclined at table in Levi's house. Reclining at table, we, we don't use that phrase, but that's a description of a Roman and Greek style of eating where people would kind of lean on couches with a central table. This is probably some sort of festive or formal meal where Jesus is the guest of honor. Verse 15 also tells us who's present at this meal. It tells us that there were tax collectors and sinners. We've, we've already established that tax collectors are in a bad social stratum. You don't want to be caught hanging out with tax collectors. But not only were there tax collectors, there are sinners. Sinners is a catch-all phrase. It could be anybody who's violated the, the law of Moses in any sort of way. But it also refers to anyone who, has, who is guilty of moral wickedness. So not only does it include like Sabbath breakers, but it also includes adulterers and prostitutes and cheaters and swindlers and liars and all those types of people too so this if you can imagine tax collectors and sinners that that is not the kind of crowd that you would expect a religious person to be hanging around not only does the text tell us that there are tax collectors and sinners at this party it tells us that there were many notice again in verse 15 it says that there were many tax collectors and sinners and just in case you miss it just in case you miss it, he says it again, so you don't think that it's by mistake. There were many who followed him. There are many. See, in the first century, to share a meal with someone uh, is, is to identify with that person. If I'm going to share a meal with someone, you're saying, these are my people. These are my people. I'm eating with them. They're mine. And as we look at the text, we come to understand that there were many tax collectors and sinners in the presence of Jesus. They were comfortable in his presence. They were received by Jesus.
And then we look at the text, and, and there's another group of people that are there. Look in verse 16. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So there was another group of people. He calls them the scribes of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious zealots. They were the religious PhDs of the day. They knew all of the law. They, they in their mind, kept all of the law, and they were so good at keeping the law that they were trying to help other people keep the law too. That's how holy they were. Now, for us, as we, we think about them, we, we, we know they're the villain. We've read the Gospels. We know that they're, they're the bad guys, right? And we use that in modern-day language. We use that phrase. We say, well, they're a modern-day Pharisee. They're so self-righteous. They're a modern-day Pharisee. The people in the first century looked up to the Pharisees like they're really holy. Like I could never be like one of them. They're, they're really, really holy. And here they have a question. It says that they asked Jesus' disciples. Maybe they couldn't get close enough to Jesus because there were so many tax collectors and sinners. So they can't ask Jesus. They ask his disciples. And the question is, why does he eat with them? The original language uh, highlights for us the anger in that question. This isn't a question of curiosity. This is a question of fury. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, how could he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does he not know who they are? And Jesus hears the question and he answers them with a parable and an explanation. Look in verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus hits hits them with the the one-liner, you know. I I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for uh, the, the righteous, I came for the sinners. I didn't come... For the righteous, I came for these tax collectors and sinners. That's who I came for. That's my purpose. That's what Jesus says. One author says it was not only permissible for Jesus to mix with this crowd, it was the very purpose of his mission. It wasn't just permissible, it was the purpose. Jesus' reason for coming was to call sinners. And in this mission, as we look at his mission, we see how Jesus feels about sinners. How does Jesus feel about sinners? How do you feel about sinners? How would you feel about sinners if you were in Jesus' shoes? From the very beginning, man has rejected God. From the very beginning. And God reaches out and and invites man back into relationship with Him, but, but man continually spurns those invitations. God sends His Son, Jesus, to the earth. How does Jesus, God's son, get treated by man? He is rejected. Again, just like everybody else, rejected. Rejected by the religious leaders. Rejected by the crowds who who cry out, crucify him. Rejected by his own family who thought he was crazy. Even at the end of Mark's gospel, you can see he's rejected by his very disciples. They turn their backs on Jesus. He experiences rejection and contempt and hate. And at the end of all of that, how does Jesus feel about sinners? How do you feel about sinners? 
How do you feel about people who lie? How do you feel about people who steal? People who commit adultery? People who have harmed you? People who are lazy? People who speak ill of other people behind their backs? How do you feel about them? How does Jesus treat sinners in our text? I see three ways. One, Jesus seeks out sinners. Jesus seeks out sinners. The text tells us that all the crowd was coming to him. Who was there? There there were fishermen. There were soldiers, farmers, religious leaders. There's a whole bunch of tax collectors. But Jesus calls Levi. Jesus singled out Levi. He chose the tax collector. If I were starting a ministry, I would not start with Levi. I wouldn't make him part of the launch team. But Jesus chose Levi, the sinner. Jesus seeks out sinners. Second, Jesus fully accepts sinners. Jesus fully accepts sinners. He, he goes to Levi. He says, follow me. And the, and the text tells us in verse 14 that, that Levi rose and followed him. And when, when Levi rose and followed Jesus, he didn't say, but wait, hang on. I need you to get it all cleaned up first. Like you've got some wickedness I need you to deal with, and then you can come follow me. He doesn't make Levi a provisional member of his club. He doesn't make Levi a second-class citizen of the kingdom of God. He accepts Levi. Third, Jesus desires friendship with sinners. Jesus desires friendship with sinners. Jesus went to Levi's house and reclined at table with him. And not just him only, but many tax collectors and sinners. Many. There's a party happening. Jesus is the guest of honor. The Pharisees, the most religious people that you could possibly find, they weren't invited to the party. They were outside the party. Jesus reclined at table with tax collectors and sinners. He identified with them. These are my people, he says. Yeah, he called them to repentance. Don't hear me wrong there. He, he called them to repentance. He called them into friendship with him. Jesus tells us plainly that the reason for his coming was not to call the healthy, but the sick. He comes to call sinners to follow him. And I think this text, Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 2 13 through 17 is both a pointed warning to us in the room and also a shocking invitation to us in the room. It's a warning. The Pharisees questioned Jesus. Are they the righteous ones he's referring to? I think what Jesus is doing is using a bit of sarcasm. Since you're so righteous, the Apostle Paul echoes the psalmist. He says that there's, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who does good. There, there is nobody who always does the right thing from pure motives. There's not one person. There is no one who is righteous, but there are 
plenty of self-righteous people. How can you identify a self-righteous person? Arrogance? Pointing the finger at everybody else? Someone who truly believes that everyone else is stupid. I, I have all the answers. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is guilty. A self-righteous person is someone who hears a sermon and thinks, oh man, this would really be good for this person over there. Never stopping to think that maybe it applies to me. A self-righteous person says things like, of course I'm a sinner, but then they would never say out loud, but at least I'm not as bad as these people. At least I didn't do what they did. I'm not as bad as others. One author explained that while the Pharisees spared their own vices, they proudly despised all others. I have excuses for my sin. Everybody else needs to be held accountable. I want, I want mercy for me and justice for everyone else. That is self-righteousness. Jesus told a parable one time to illustrate this. There were two men who went into the temple to pray. One was a, a Pharisee, like these men in this story, and, and another was a tax collector, just like Levi. They both went into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee prayed like this. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Jesus describes this man. He is self-righteous. At least I'm not as bad as this dude over here. Well, Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, I didn't come to call that kind of a person. That's not who I came for. That person can keep their self-righteousness. And the problem with that, the, the warning of that is, is if you stay in your self-righteousness, like you think you've got it all put together, you stay there, you die in your sin. Because there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And that is the warning from Mark chapter 2, but there's also an invitation from Mark chapter 2. You see, there were two men in the story who... Who, who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee who says, at least I'm not as bad as him, but the other was a tax collector like Levi. Well, well, that man goes into the temple to pray, and, and Jesus says this, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, that man, the tax collector, went to his house justified that day, not the Pharisee. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. How do you think, how do you think Levi felt when Jesus told that story? He knew all too well the mercy of the master, didn't he? He knew he was a tax collector. He knew he was rejected, isolated. He knew he was wicked, but the Lord Jesus sought him out. The Lord Jesus called him out from among the many. Jesus did not come to call the self-righteous. He came to call those who would echo the prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the parable, in the parable, with whom do you identify? Are you the self-righteous Pharisee? God, I'm a sinner, but at least I'm not as bad as these people. At least I only commit respectable sins. Right? 
Or do you identify with the tax collector? God, I have no excuses. I have no answers for myself. I have no one with whom I can compare myself. I am guilty. I have no other answer. God, be merciful to me. Well, this morning, I'm concerned for the people in this room right now. I'm concerned. And I'm concerned that there are some of us in the room that though we wouldn't say it out loud, we think, I've done just enough to enter the kingdom of God. I can get into God's presence on my own merit. I'm a good enough person. I'm here at church on Halloween. I, I don't commit bad sins. And when I do sin, I always make up for it. I try to make it right. I promise not to do it again. At least I'm not as bad as other people. And, and I'm concerned because if that's your attitude, you never say that out loud if you're smart. You keep that to yourself. But if that's your attitude, you will die in your sin. There is nothing you can do to enter into God's presence on your own. You have nothing. Nothing. All you have is the blood of Jesus. That's it. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. But I'm also concerned that there are people in the room who have said, yeah, but I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. You, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea how badly I've screwed all of this up. Even when I tried to fix it, I made it worse. You have no idea the regret in my life. You have no idea the thoughts I have. You have no idea the selfishness that I have. You, you don't know the pride I carry. You don't know the lives of the other people that I have ruined. Because if you knew those things about me, you would turn your back on me, much less Jesus would turn his back on me. Man, if that sounds like you, can, can I tell you about the Savior this morning? The Gospels call him Jesus, the friend of sinners. The friend of sinners, not the manager of sinners, not the boss of sinners, not the begrudging associate of sinners, the friend of sinners, the one who delights to save. He wants to. It makes him happy to save. The one who came for the very purpose of calling sinners like you and me out of their wickedness into his kingdom. If, if, if you think that you've sinned too much, you think like I'm too far gone, there's no way Jesus could forgive me, you, you are sinning again because you underestimate the mercy of Jesus. So I'm concerned this morning. I'm concerned. Jesus came for sinners. And so this morning, I, I'm, I'm coming before you and I'm pleading with you to turn to the Lord Jesus. Bring him your guilt and your shame. Bring him all of your wickedness. You can lay down your excuses. You can lay down your righteousness. You think you've got it all put together. Lay it all down and come to the Lord Jesus and find forgiveness. Won't you come to the Lord Jesus this morning? We're, we're turning to the Lord's table. We've, we've got the Lord's Supper this morning. And Jesus invites you to come. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was reclining at table again with his disciples and he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. He took he took the cup and he he held it up and he, he said this this cup is is like the the blood of the covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. He held up he held up the bread and he broke it. And he said this bread is like my body that's broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me and for thousands of years Jesus' disciples like you and me ha have done that in remembrance 
of Jesus and all that he has done for us. This, this table is a symbol. It's a remembrance. It represents the blood and body of Jesus. See, Jesus is the Son of God. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived sinlessly. He was crucified on our behalf. And when Jesus was crucified, he bore the weight of God's wrath on himself. God's wrath is his fury, his, his anger, and his hatred towards sin. Jesus bore that in his own body. See, holy God won't tolerate sin. And one day, the Bible promises, he will pour out his wrath on them. And they will suffer eternally for their rejection of God, their desire to walk in their own ways. But when Jesus died on the cross, God's just wrath was poured out on his own son. That whoever would place their faith in Jesus' sacrifice would receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So when we come to the table here in a minute, we recognize that we symbolically come to the body and the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Well, who is welcome at the table then? Who, who is welcome to take the Lord's Supper? Those who have no need of a physician are not welcome to Jesus' table. The only thing that really disqualifies you from being at Jesus' table is wellness, since you've decided that you have no need of Him. Who can come to the Lord's table? Any who would leave behind their tax booth. Any that would turn away from their sin and turn to the Lord Jesus. Any. Tax collectors. Sinners. Extortioners, liars, angry men, angry women, the backsliders, the selfish, the arrogant, the sexually immoral, the sick are welcome at the Lord's table. All they've got to do is recognize their need of Jesus, turn from their sin, and turn to the Lord Jesus. That's it. So Jesus invites us to the table to eat and to drink with Him. We said earlier, to eat with someone is to identify with them. When we come to the table, we identify with Jesus. We're saying, I want him to pay for my sin. I, I don't want to pay for my sin. I want him to do it. We identify with Jesus. But when Jesus invites us to his table, he identifies with us. Jesus looks at us this morning. He says, these are my people. They're not perfect. In fact, some of them have really messed up. But come on, these are my people. You're the reason I came. Come to my table, eat and drink. Turn to me in faith and receive forgiveness for your sin. 